Hello and welcome back to the movie podcast you love to listen to called Free Reeling It. Uh, I am Jesse, one of your hosts, who doesn't know why he opened the show that way. He's never opened the show that way before. Um, And with me today is your other host. Better, happier, more productive. Oh, I'm Matthew. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Turns out Matthew's been a robot this entire time. (laughs) And we forgot to turn on his human voice for this recording. Hey, you know, you, 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 honestly, I'm kind of impressed with how quickly I did that because you said he's never opened the show that way. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to one up you and do something (laughs) I've never done. (laughs) Uh, Today we're talking about the 2004 movie Before Sunset, uh, which uh, if you listen to the last episode, we didn't say we were going to do. And no. when that episode gets posted, because it's not posted yet, this is all, this is behind the scenes talk for you. Yes. Uh, we'll make sure that like you guys know that this is what we're going to watch. But we were talking about beforehand and then we got so wrapped up talking to Maddie about Kill Us that we're like, at, when we finished recording, I just went, we forgot to talk about what we're watching next. And it was so funny, like that conversation, and that conversation could have legitimately gone on for hours. I it think. went on just, like another 15 minutes after we stopped recording. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I cannot, I, I would. I cannot wait to, to try and coax Maddie to coming back again because that was fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably talk about the devils next time, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we're talking about Before Sunset, 2004, as I said before. Uh, directed once again by Richard Linklater. Written once again by Richard Linklater, Julie uh, Delpy, Ethan Hawke, and... Uh, Kim Krizan. Krizan. She didn't technically write the screenplay for this one, but she co-wrote the story again. And again, it's yeah. based on the characters her and Linklater wrote. So, Yes. Um, Matthew, I'm going to let you start off though with your thoughts on the movie. So this, this movie kind of hits me where I live in a lot of ways, um, just because of my own sort of life experience, um, to, uh, I'll just, you know what, I'm just, I'm just I'm just gonna over I'm just gonna overshare the hell out of let's, this. Let's so, just jump in. So I'm I'm from I'm from Iowa. I know I've probably said that on the show. I moved to Philly in 2003 for a woman. Uh, her name is Deanna. We, she and I were married for eight years, and then we got divorced. We are still friends. We still talk. Um, but when we this was the first one of these movies i saw i did not see before sunrise first mm-hmm. um i was working at an art house theater in philly and i saw that this was coming out and i said hey you want to go see this she's like and she said oh i loved the first one and i'm like great the sequel's out so you want to go see it and she's like yeah have you seen the first one i'm like no and she's like you should probably see it i go eh, i can i can watch it later and put it together it'll be fine um and this like even without seeing before sunrise first uh this movie sort of made a weird amount of sense to me in terms of like who these characters were versus who my ex-wife and i were at the time Mm -hmm. um like i saw a lot of my i saw a lot of myself in Ethan Hawke's character and I and I looked at Julie Delpy's character and like saw a lot of of my wife um and that has kind of it hasn't really like reversed at all 
but it's it's one of those things that just it just keeps illuminating it and i and i i really sort of love that about it um i'm i'm a very sentimental person mm-hmm. and i keep a lot of i try and keep a lot of my memories uh like of past relationships or 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 pitfalls or victories i try and keep a lot of that and recite and not necessarily recycle it but like i try and revisit it just through conversation just so I can it it helps me just sort of carry it carry it on and hopefully I'm learning the lessons that I should learn Mm -hmm. um and luckily my my wife now Reba uh is accepting of that (laughs) because uh, I could see uh, people I dated prior to her like kind of wanted me to erase my past and that became a sticking point I'm just like hmm don't really erase a divorce like you don't really especially with someone who I ultimately knew for and was and was around for 16 years like it doesn't really work that way uh but anyway that all sort of comes to the fact that we meet Jesse and Celine essentially a decade later after they were supposed to have met six months after the prior movie and they've lived, they've learned, they've loved, and they come together and, and that spark is still there. Now, in terms of my ex-wife Deanna and I, she and I come together. The spark is clearly not there anymore. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that. But when she and I talk, it's very much like the conversations that happen in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the one sort of connecting thread to the prior movie is that Jesse has written a moderately, uh, well, I mean, it's a bestseller, but like, what does a bestselling book mean in the U S even now? Uh, but in 2004, when this came out, because even in the movie, he refers to it as a tiny bestseller. Whereas Julie Delpy's like, oh, but it's a, a tiny bestseller. He's like, people who've read my book probably haven't read Moby Dick. And she's like, well, I haven't read Moby Dick. <laughs> and um, so he's he's basically doing everything he can to sort of put himself down. But it still becomes like a hmm, you remember, you remembered that night this way. And now I'm seeing your me- I'm I'm like reading it through your lens and comparing it with my memories and some friction some a lot of a lot of things come to the forefront and i love the cadence of this movie versus the prior one uh because it yeah yeah sorry i just i just love that it i just love that it starts as like so this is awkward (laughs) because uh ethan hawk was clearly not expecting to to see essentially uh, a main character of the book he wrote you know at the bookstore he was giving a talk in in paris 10 years later yeah um but to answer your question uh i think your question was what do you think about this movie i love this movie (laughs) i love this movie a lot (laughs) and uh i think yeah i mean i i still haven't seen the before midnight 
so I don't I, know how. It's exciting that we're both going to be seeing that one together for the first time. Right. And that's, and I'm I, I, like, I was actually speaking to my wife. She's like, have we watched through? I go, I never have. I know we've talked about it and we still have it. She's like, we got to watch that. I go, I'm betting Jesse and I are going to watch it for the show. So we'll just have to wait till we do it for the show and we can watch it together. No problem. Fine. Um, but this movie is this movie is special in a lot of ways because I'm pretty sure a lot of folks have that uh, one that got away. Yeah. And ultimately, I think with 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 most you you have your one that got away. And you just, you probably revisit memories of that. You never get to revisit and talk with that person again. Mm -hmm. And I love that this film really explores that. And they kind of go through the, oh, it's so great to see you again. But because, because of what happened, I am kind of forever changed. Yeah, very much. And, and, and it, yeah, I'm so curious about the third one because they can't pull the same trick again. Where No, they um, cannot. Where when they meet up this time, you really realize that their, their meeting nine years ago have flipped the script now on both of them, where Celine's very cynical about the world and Jesse's huh? very kind of like, the, like there's so much, there's so much in this world now. Mm-hmm. Um, where when the, you first meet them in uh, before sunrise, Celine's very optimistic, and Jesse's like, "Ah, we're just atoms." <laughs> yeah, we're just on the we're just on this space rock. Who knows? I I know that before midnight though, like from seeing just small clips, like uh, by not not before we even decided to do this podcast, just in in passing, seeing small clips, it, it feels like we're before. Uh, sunrise is kind of like falling in love for the first time and then before sunsets like kind of realizing you're still in love before mm-hmm. midnight deals with like what happens when that love like isn't enough it seems like that's what's going to be dealing with yeah so I'm, very, I, I'm very i'm very curious i have not looked at anything on before midnight like i've not even seen clips i've just seen the poster yeah and um and I think because I because it was before midnight and I didn't recognize, like at the time, I did not, for some reason, it did not register that it was Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're doing it. And then when I looked it up, I'm like, oh, they did a third one. I got to watch this. And I believe the third one came out in 2013, right? Yeah, another nine years between those. Yeah. And um, then they have like, it's not a real movie, but they have a, a short that they did during um lockdown i don't remember what it was called though um but it was mostly them just kind of talking about making the stuff oh okay Uh, but it was called before something that they called it i don't know what i'm trying to find it because i was looking at it when i was watching the movie uh and i don't know what it was and it's bothering me so you keep talking okay so um so i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go into it i'm gonna i'm gonna go to where we start uh, we start with the awkward re-meeting of folks. Uh, Jesse is giving a book talk and he looks over and he sees Celine, you know, smiling and uh, decides very quickly he's going to pull it together and get through the talk. And then he goes over and says, 
how's it going? And then they, they sort of go on their way. Um, he's in the, he's, he's at the final stop of his book tour and he has a flight in the next couple of hours and he just has a small window of time where he can hang out with Celine and they kind of, they, they definitely do the peaks and valleys of, of this kind of meeting, I think in a very, in a very realistic way, like I've getting back to the one that got away sort of, sort of thing. Like I've, I, I've had a couple get away and I've been able to like have brief conversations with them after nothing like this, of course. Yeah. But, and it seems like, it's like, Oh, okay. So how are you? And 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 then it goes well. This happened, and a lot of it sort of links back to you. And I don't know what to, I don't I don't know what any of it means yet. But I'm trying. And and then you have to discuss the awkward part that wasn't around when you met the first time. Uh, like when when Julie Delpy brings up that brings up the fact that he's married and has a kid. And I can, and I've actually been on both sides of he's kind of a shit bag in this, in this respect, because like, there's that, there's that, there's that lying through omission. Um, and there's that, you know, avoiding the subject. But I also think that somewhere in Jesse's mind, he knew, he knows that that's going to come up, but he wants to hold on to the positive parts of the conversation before before we have to get real it's sort of like the uh the honeymoon period of the conversation we could call it does that make sense yeah no that totally makes sense and and then you know and 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 then julie delpy kind of uh very deftly in my opinion sort of pops that balloon once and then uses she 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 uses almost a, a verbal dagger later on. <laughs> it's like, so you, so you're married. You've not talked about that much. <laughs> and it's like, hmm. Um, but then ultimately, it's never like a, they never get accusatory with each other. They're just trying to be people in this moment that they are lucky enough to have. And uh, I, I it, it, it's every time I watch this movie and I've seen I've seen this movie like four or five times now, it's so happy to just see to see it done this way. Um, and I know there's like the imitation of life and art imitating life or, or vice versa. But I would be I would be absolutely lying if I ever said I didn't think about the good times of mm -hmm. my marriage and my relationship with Deanna whenever we talk. I also think a lot of, about a lot of the problems and I remember all that, but all of, and, and all of that coalesce into the whole. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you have to, you, you have, and they, I think they do, they examine both sides of it, both the good and the ill of, how they handled 
their first meeting, like they're saying, why didn't we exchange the numbers or why didn't we get, why didn't we give information? Um, and then uh, ultimately it's revealed that Jesse showed up in Vienna mm-hmm, and Celine did not because the grandmother whom she discussed, I believe in before sunset or before sunrise uh, had passed days prior to their meeting and she had to go to the funeral. And then you find out that maybe we are all atoms because we are in such close orbit yet somehow so distant when their paths seem to cross so much yet because they didn't know how to get a hold of each other, they it, it never happened until Jesse wrote a book. I've been talking a lot. You should talk, Jesse. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I think, especially since you've seen this before, you have a different kind of uh, impact building on it. And I feel like if we revisit these movies next year or the year after i'll have a different i'll have more i would have more of the same in general but uh something that, that i'm really curious about how many interviews have you watched of uh julie delpy uh, at all none absolutely I, I, none yeah i haven't either but i, I watched um I, I think it was after first reformed after i watched first reformed i was on a kick of just watching ethan hawk interviews mm-hmm. and it's very interesting how much he is himself in this movie and which makes sense because they like they co-wrote with the dialogue and they rehearse these things very much um but it, it, it it's it's ethan hawk like if he would never grew up in a lot of ways is, is oh, yeah. the jesse character uh because ethan hawk very much has the same wide eye um look at the world and mm-hmm. and and the same cynicism that jesse has in the first movie too um but it but it also has a tad bit of maturity to it that he's like but i don't have every answer and i will never have every answer so i'm not gonna just say a blanket this is this but jesse always has a blanket like this is this no matter either it's positive or negative it's always feels always feels like even if it's not a blanket statement it's a it's um what's the word i'm looking for it's a solid statement it's a statement that yeah. will move yeah um, and, and yeah, I kind of feel like I mean I know I, I I'll bet you on some level that because because I want to say a broad brush statement but like that's almost a blanket statement or they're probably the same thing. Uh, words are kind of failing me at this moment, but um, but yeah, like the the core like all those statements that he made in the first meeting, and he starts making in the second meeting because he is had some time under his belt i also love that his shorts his his like he has a weird all-inclusive short-sightedness about him yeah like he's like oh but it has to be getting better because there's people out people like julie delpy who's doing um i don't want to say it's not necessarily she's doing activist work essentially um i think environmentalist is if I remember correctly, that's what she's doing. That's yeah, her, she's that's a, she's an environmentalist currently. Um, but uh, he he's like, so it has to be getting better because there are people like you out there, and then she's like, um, no, how can you say this when and you know she reels off like 
so many bad things happen today. People, this many millions of people die due to starvation. Like, how can you say it's getting better? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and it's like, it's more adult, but it's also like, this is a Jesse and Celine conversation. And it's nice that all of this transports to, you know, they were what, early 20s in the first movie. Now they're definitely like late 20s, early 30s now. Yeah. Um, and as you were saying, uh, I honestly think that there's probably a very thin thread between this character and the character that Ethan Hawke played in Dead Poet Society. I can see that. I, uh, I haven't seen that I know of his character. It's been, I, it's been, it's, it's been since the, it's, it might've been since around the time of release since I've seen Dead Poet Society. So I, if I'm way off there, that's fine. But for some reason, I just see, I just see that. Um, and I see, I saw that more this time viewing than I had seen prior. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I think what I like too a lot is the slow reveal between both of them where like you talked about how he like he he lies and says he didn't show up either and then eventually comes out but that comes up pretty quickly after he says mm-hmm. he did it yeah. um, but the slow reveal between both of them when they finally you get to like the last third of the movie and they're both basically saying we're, we're, they're not happy yeah and they don't know what happiness is anymore because they've been unhappy for such a long time. Yes. And then the movie likes, and, and the movie doesn't, um, people, I think people criticize Richard Linklater uh, uh, for being kind of wandering and for being uh, no purpose in a lot of filmmaking. Um, th- this is also me coming from someone who's only seen four of his movies. Okay. Um, but knowing just like slacker and uh days of confused and like mm-hmm. boyhood and all the other big ones like uh i i get why people say that because the the stories that he tends to direct uh besides like school of rock or something or other big mainstream stuff like that right. are very much these are people and we are going to watch people for an hour and a half to two hours right yeah mm-hmm. but i don't think that leaves you without any purpose i think the purpose kind of it, it relies on the viewer to find the purpose which you could say is good or bad filmmaking writing or whatever but i think it's clever the way he does it where you start off with these characters pretending to be happy and so glad to find each other again mm-hmm. while in the middle or the final act you've they reveal that they are just miserable and then he lets you linger and end on them being happy together yes there's no conclusion to the story the story doesn't end which no. is also makes sense because there's a third movie but the story doesn't end there but it ends with the emotional climax and conclusion of what they wanted at the beginning they finally kind of have at the end yes that's yeah i agree i agree with that wholeheartedly and i didn't really want to get into the end movie stuff until you brought it up <laughs> um uh when i saw this in 2004 uh when we were when my wife and I well she was my girlfriend at the time this was before I was married we took the bus home 
from the theater and i was actually like fighting back tears until we got into our got into my apartment at the time mm-hmm. and like i it was one of those things that i i couldn't really explain until until way later uh because I, I think of the way I explained it at the time it was like, I just think it, it was so happy just to see them finally just at peace with each other. And in that moment, and you just end with Ethan Hawke going, yeah, I know I'm going to miss my plane. Uh, oh, my mic. Okay. Um, no, I'm good. Um, <clears throat> where some, and, and, I'm glad you brought up that people think Linklater's wandering. Uh, and that's probably my favorite aspect of his films because we don't, I don't see, I don't see a lot of that in my movie watching. Uh, it's probably just because I haven't been directed to the people that do that. Yeah. Um, but so much of just general day-to-day is kind of a wander mm-hmm. uh i mean you don't have a goal set every day yeah like, like, it's, I mean, it's like finish work and then go to bed but that doesn't mean that day didn't have a purpose yeah it did well i mean you could say that you could say that like well my purpose was to finish my job well that's yeah. kind of i mean that's to put it as honestly as possible that's a shitty goal <laughs> like I, I would i would i would i mean granted it, it's on my list it's on my to-do list you know finish my day at work fine cool uh but also i i do like to pay attention to moments and things that don't necessarily contribute to the work happening faster or or more productive but just something that can make the day inch or that can that'll end up making the day interesting yeah um like does that does that particular like i'm just gonna uh this week at my job i'm an x-ray tech i had to x-ray a patient who also had a therapy dog and her therapy dog got out and ran around the x-ray room while I was answering the patient and it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in healthcare because it was just me and the patient and her therapy dog, which was a lot. So opposite just running around the room. It was gorgeous. And that's very much like, uh, link letter captures little moments like that. Uh, I mean, I think the only real one here is uh, the barbecue at the end of the movie, or the well, the cookout. I should say it's not really yeah. a barbecue. People from the south are going to get mad at me. Um, but uh, but it's it's not it's not necessarily like not everything has to be, you know, three act structure. <laughs> it must hit this beat for me to be satisfied as a film watcher, like. And I think Linkletter's best work lets things happen. And it, it also goes back to the way that this movie's made it with the rehearsals with the two actors and them co-writing the dialogue and really trying to make it as natural as possible. It's really funny, especially since this movie came out in 2005. Um, it's almost 20 years old. It's getting real close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that 
though the dialogue, especially at the beginning, the dialogue is very uh, awkward <laughs> at times mm-hmm. oh, because yeah. I mean, just because we talk differently now. And um, there's moments where though Ethan Hawke's character, Jesse is trying to be cute. He comes off very not cute and uh, Celine very, very much uh, shows him that he's not being cute. He's being more, uh, <laughs> what's the word? Um, aggressive. Yeah. Um, like all the times he's mentioning sex, like yeah, or or the time that like they talk about the end of the world and she, and he's like, well, I think we would be in the bedroom and talk about this stuff in between, uh, yeah. and, and like and then he pulls her onto his lap and she's like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, you're married. Where like or, no, that's funny. Yeah. They don't even mention his wife. They don't mention his wife or her boyfriend until after that incident. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, she uses next, that to sort of dagger it. Yeah, yeah. The next scene is both of them talking about their relationships. So I'm like, hold on, hold on, Jesse, you just made this move. Yeah, and which I think is a good a cue to show you that what he's saying isn't true, like about being happy and loving his wife, et cetera, et cetera. Oh sure, I mean, and to, I, I wanna, I wanna, I don't really think that the way that uh, Jesse does this is, I don't. To me, it doesn't come off as like predatory or douchey or anything. It just comes off no, as yeah. He's he's just not reading the room. Um, he's a man and, that's been more infatuated than he is paying attention to it. Yes, he he's he's remember he I mean, he's clearly a man ten years re- removed from a wonderful night with this woman, and that's all that's on his mind. Yeah, and the only reference to that to her is that experience and she is definitely saying hey snap out of it nine years have happened you have a child you have a wife like let's let's examine who we are not who we were yeah this movie's so good (laughs) this movie's so good very good i love Um, it so much (laughs) and it it really comes down to like at, at, at the end like what does it mean kind of to just be happy in your in your surroundings and your scenarios? And I don't think it's even about that. It's, I don't think it's even about being happy. It's more about just being there, present the whole time. Because mm-hmm. there's moments where you can watch the actors slip out of being present in the moment and yeah. the other will bring them back into it. And I think those moments are very uh, impactful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, it ends the movie with you being in a moment and they just, and they, and they leave you there. They don't end it. They don't get you out of it. And it goes, yeah. and these two never saw each other again for nine more years. Like they don't do yeah. any, they don't wrap it up. And it reminds me a lot of um, everybody wants some, which is another link later movie, which uh, I think is in the same vein as days to confuse. Cause again, I haven't seen that one. So I can't tell you for sure. Sure. But the movie is just about this college baseball team and you just go through the entire movie, you're just watching them living their life, and it just ends. Like, there's no conclusion. There's no, like, epic mm-hmm. throwdown. Like, they have, like, a baseball game in the middle of the movie that would count as a climax. Like, nothing really happens, and the movie just ends, and I realize, oh, I w- the point of this movie was me just supposed to watch these guys hang out for a couple days. Yeah. And if I wasn't engaged with that, then I wasn't in the moment, and he wants me to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, I just think it's something really fun that he does. I've only seen him do it. I've seen other people do like the day in the life type movies, but they're not trying to put you in the moment. They're trying to make you follow the characters. Right. If that makes sense. Or Linklater's trying to make sure you're in these moments with these characters and he doesn't care about 
what happens. She just cares that you're feeling what's going on. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, when when he when I first saw Slacker, and Slacker was one of those movies, um, I was bored one night because I did I was too young to go see it when it was in theaters but I was bored one night and I was at at Blockbuster and saw it I'm like I've never seen this I don't really know anything about it but I think I had seen Dazed and Confused at this point mm-hmm. um I watched this and all of, and I this movie uh, well this I'll say before sunrise and before sunset have a lot in common with slacker in terms of being involved in moments Mm -hmm. whereas slacker just seems uh one nonsense beat to one nonsense beat to one nonsense beat it's rather it's instead of that instead of it just being wandering and not really making any sense you kind of have to examine the tapestry because you, you you basically get the sense of being in a, in a, I guess, a college town. It's been a long time since I've seen Slacker too, but um, when I think that one of, one of my favorite things about this in Slacker is it sort of takes from one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Luis Bunuel. He has a movie called uh, Phantom of Liberty that is basically the cadence of Slacker because it starts with it. You, you start on one character, they have a moment, walk off screen, you move to, you, you follow an, another character and you never see one consistent story the entire, the entire way through. And before sunset and before sunrise are very focused versions of that because you just see you're just following Jesse and Celine. And I, and mm-hmm. I like, I like thinking about the two in concert or I'm sorry. I, th- I liked thinking about the two concepts together um, because the tapestry of a town versus the tapestry of human moments brought together in, ter- in, in the form of a conversation there's a lot of similarities there in my head. Yeah. Because like, for, like, for instance, like, look at us, Jesse, look at you and I. Yeah. <clears throat> you be Jesse, I'll be Matt. We're two people that have never met, but <laughs> we, we've decided to start a podcast and I guarantee you if, if, and when you and I are able to sit down across the table from each other, we will have just as awkward of conversations as Jesse and Celine have had through both of these movies. I'm not going to say it won't lead to sex. I'm not going to say it will, mm-hmm. but, but like the same cadence is always going to be there. And we're going to bring our own little series of moments we've had here, the moments we've experienced throughout our lives. And all of that becomes a tapestry instead of using the multicolor palette of a town it's the color palette we have within each other yeah and i love i love watching that mixture happen and it's not necessarily something i can articulate very well and i hope i haven't been too confusing or weird now no i don't i, I don't think so i i, I think uh 
I think you're spot on. And this, this is what I like about these movies. It's just like I don't have a lot of thoughts currently, but as like we talk and then as I just kind of think about it here and there, like more and more thoughts come. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess to kind of like wrap up talking about it, do you have a favorite part of the conversation? Not our conversation, their conversation. Sure. Um, uh, my, my favorites are the moments of silence where one character reaches out to the other. Uh, you see it once. You see it once on each side that I can remember right away. There's a point where uh, Ethan Hawke is like about to reach over. He has a clenched fist just to sort of stop himself. He pulls it. He pulls his hand back, and then there's a moment where Ethan Hawke is being very semi-confessional, and you yeah. see Julie Delpy almost reach out and grab his hair. And see, and, and I love that that is still fucking callback to the first movie, where each of them wanted to make sure like there was one there's a moment early in before sunrise where ethan hawk sort of tilts his head under julie delpy and she pulls her hair over over behind her ears and looks back at him and gets back in the conversation let it and and it's there's 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 like it seems like there's volumes of unspoken words there but understanding at least for me as a viewer is immediate yeah like I don't think he's I don't I, like if Ethan Hawken before sunset connects with his reach here, he's not gonna it's not gonna be a moment where he pulls her in for a kiss. He's just you know I I understand your experience. I'm here with you. You are valid, and I feel like the same thing is coming from the other direction when Julie Delpy almost reaches out for him. Uh, I love those moments so much. <laughs> I think mine is the the cafe scene. Um, there's a conversation that they have about um, kind of like about want or uh, um, excitement or um, trying to figure out what they there was a certain word because uh, Ethan Hawke talks about like what if we didn't have this need if we didn't have needs kind of mm-hmm. like, would be we content or is that the, the idea of needs is what makes us happy and excited because like we can go get them type of thing right. and I really I really like that back and forth between both of them or uh, Celine's like basically uh, she, she's like the pursuing like of, of a, like another lover or just even a new pair of shoes like that that pursuit feels good and so like i like it's, it's important to keep pursuing keep like going and, and wanting more type of thing and well i, I also I, I also i also find it real interesting that i think in that conversation she points out about her own experience living in warsaw yeah where tv was in a language she didn't understand uh yeah there, and she was there, kind there of there were no advertisement and she was like completely calm without it so movie. this movie rules man <laughs> i'd love this movie so much i have a question this is this is not the next movie we're gonna watch i just want right. to maybe watch this in the future mm-hmm. um would you want to watch the newton boys in the future i will watch just about any movie i think the i think the first movie since we've started this show that i said no nah, i'm not gonna watch is a serbian film so <laughs> that's fair but we didn't choose to watch that one anyway no no I, I, was, I was like i wonder what other movies ethan hogg has been that i would want to watch and i saw this and i was like hold on a second um yeah matthew mcconaughey 
You got Ethan Hawke. All right, all right. You got Skeet Ulrich. And you got Vincent D'Onofrio. It's a, it's a gangster movie directed by Richard Linklater. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah, I mean... Just, just looking at this poster, yeah, yeah I'd watch it looks that. So, it looks, I mean, even if it's bad, it looks cool. Yeah. And so, yeah. One of, the, one of these days. The meandering gangster movie. I can't wait. I love it. <laughs> In the future, we'll watch this. Um, so, uh, what what have you been watching, Matthew? Uh, give me two seconds. I want to pull up my letterbox profile. Yeah, well, while you pulling that, the, the thing I was talking about before is, is, a, is a short film that's on Vimeo called Before the End, and it's uh, a filmmaker who decided to take footage of Ethan Hawke in uh, Julie De- uh, Delpy during the pandemic where they were doing the live Q&As on Zoom and just cut it together to kind of have them be in the moment and experiment with uh, what when you're away from your loved ones during the pandemic, what kind of just being together is like during the pandemic. So it's not an official thing and it's not them being their actual characters, it's them being themselves, but it's cut together so it's like them being the characters. Okay. And uh, it's interesting. It's only like three minutes. It's something that we can check out later. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll watch that. Um, okay. So my most recent thing uh, that I watched is uh, the movie House from 1977. House I... Hmm? Is it the Japanese house? It's the Japanese one. Okay. I don't remember the. Uh, I don't remember the director. This is, uh, I think, the third or fourth time I've seen this movie, and it gets better to me every time I see it. Uh, and I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go too far into it, just because I I hope one day we can actually watch this for the show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but like, it's it's a Scooby Doo episode that is shot like a Douglas Sirk romance but it is neither Douglas Sirk or romance uh it is it is such a wild wild film uh but it is uh directed and produced by Nobuhiko Obayashi it's in the Criterion collection it's on Criterion right now uh if you have the ability you should watch it um and hopefully we watch it here at some point uh I also watched uh uh, a film noir that I wanted to watch for probably 10 or 12 years now just I just never had until recently uh, it's Detour directed by Edgar G. Ulmer and it's it's only like 81 minutes it is it's one of those it's one of those films that feels like a film school example both po- for positive and negative reasons. I think I, I the reason I ever heard of it was uh, Roger Ebert wrote a great movie essay about it. And I think his opening paragraph states that this probably wouldn't even pass as a film school project. Like it would probably receive a failing grade. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you're calling it a great movie yet you're saying it fails. All right, now you have my attention. Uh, but it basically does everything that, it, it executes every aspect of film noir really, really well without being, um, without being didactic or, or, 
or ultra like highbrow it's actually just very entertaining it's a really good popcorn flick that you can sort of think about uh i also watched the bad and the beautiful which is a vincent minnelli film that i i don't remember ever seeing before it's uh stars the legendary kirk douglas good film i i it's one of those things it's like a big studio picture that yeah this isn't bad but i think what i heard about it uh did not happen for me here i ultimately got i ultimately got like kind of bored in mm-hmm. about midway through the third act and then i rewatched the lighthouse i rewatched that recently too dude the lighthouse is so fucking good it's really good i i my it, it was funny to, it was fun to watch it with three people who hadn't seen it before and watch two of them like find the moments that the two of them kind of disconnected with it mm-hmm. but watch the third one kind of like stay with me the whole time um and and though like two of my friends disconnected with it it's still funny that we're at work and i'll just, or we'll be playing like destiny or something and i'll just be like why'd you spill your beans <laughs> And, and now they at least know that joke. Well, and see, it, it very, like, it's, it also, every time, well, every time, this is my second time watching it. I do not, I, I have not wrapped, fully wrapped my head around the lighthouse mm-hmm. personally, uh, but man what a what a just deliriously watchable movie despite all of the kind of oppressiveness about it like i mean for the first hour all you hear is that foghorn just blaring in blaring in over the soundtrack and and then you just watch two men deteriorate (laughs) one of them one of them is clearly it feels like he's clearly trying to just force the other one out and um well i'll I'll probably get i'll get myself way too far into talking about the lighthouse and uh i just love that movie it's it's beautiful to look at i need to see the witch i still haven't seen the witch so and then i'm excited to and Screen Lighthouse, Ethan Hawke is in the next movie by uh, Eggers, so. Oh, he's in The Northman? Yeah, he's in The Northman, so. Wow. We're going to see some crazy Ethan Hawke versus Willem Dafoe, I guess, next movie. Sweet. Um, Jesse, what have you been watching? Yeah, so I, I watched a few horror movies uh, to finish up the, the month, so I'll, I'll talk about three of them. Let's, no, uh, two of them. Let's, I want to talk about no, I'll do three. Okay, three of them real fast. Uh, one is the amusement park, which is the last film technically of George Romero to come out. It, it was technically made in 1975, but it was lost mm-hmm. until 2019. It was a movie that was commissioned by the Lutheran Church for what, uh, say, what's it called again? Uh, the amusement park. Okay. Um, it was I believe commissioned by the Lutheran Church for um elder abuse like he want they wanted him to make a movie about elder abuse like the the awareness of it and mm-hmm. what george romero decided to do was make a surreal movie about elder abuse and so it was shown once in 1975 and then never shown again uh they nice. found a print of it and they restored it in 4k and it's on shutter it, it's very interesting it's a very interesting way to 
show it in a horror movie it's not scary but it is so surreal that it's unnerving the entire time okay yeah um so there's that um i just want to mention it because i think it's kind of nice to talk about important movies in uh film history that were almost lost um a movie that i did not like was called creep show 2 <laughs> yeah uh, i've seen the first creep show i remember liking the first creep show it's been a while since i've seen it um but I said that I wanted to watch an anthology movie because they're short usually and mm-hmm. it has multiple stories. Creepshow 2, it's, it, I gave two stars on Letterboxd just because the gore is well done. Right. But it's super, super sexist. It's very racist, at least in one of them. Um, and it's just, it's just dumb most of the time. And, and, and like I, I, I think I said... Uh, did, I, did I make a did I write a review for this? Because I think I said maybe in my review it, it's the, it does the worst thing a horror movie can do, um, which is yeah yeah it, I think it's the worst crime is that it's boring like most of the time it's just it's just boring. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, creep show too, um, and then lastly, the Possessor, which did you you watch Possessor too? Oh I shit! Yeah, I forgot about that. That's fine. Um, to uh, I wanted to watch something that was a bit out there like like i was doing earlier and so i watched possessor right. it's done by brandon cronenberg david cronenberg's son it's his second feature film um and i think possessor and uh killist have very similar ideas going on yeah but they definitely do it in two different genres and i but i and i think the end goal for both of them is two different angles mm-hmm. but the idea of uh assassins is very much a part of this uh horror is very much a part of this brutal is very much a part of this and mm-hmm. and uh connection is very much a part of both of these movies um and i actually th- think it's super well done i think it's a visceral um i think it's um really tense in the last half um and i think it made me like kill this more from watching it yes i i found myself when you told me about it i'm like okay I should, I should watch this uh, because, I mean, now granted, I think when we talked about it with, with Maddie, uh, I felt like I was more positive on Killis than you were. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think I said at the end, it's not that I didn't like it. Cause like even on Letterboxd, I gave it three and a half stars. Like, like it's not like I didn't like it. It's just, it didn't oh, sure. connect. It didn't connect with me. Yeah. And, and when I, when I started watching this, like I, I started, a lot of things about Killis kind of illuminated, but then there were other things about it that kind of just faded into the background. And uh, watching these two in that proximity is a is, has, was a very enlightening experience. Uh, and it's it's weird. Like uh, I found myself after watching both movies, I found myself invigorating just about watching movies again. Mm-hmm. and uh and that's it that was it's just a nice feeling to have <laughs> it's like hmm, man movies are great yeah yeah, yeah possessors possessors um so yeah that's what we've been watching uh matthew what is the next movie we will be watching in two weeks uh we are going to pull three hours of time uh, of, not, no, it's only two and a half. It's like two forty-eight. No, it's two thirty-five. 
I'm like ninety percent sure it's two. It's it's a, it's a nine hour science fiction movie. As far as I no, I'm kidding. Um, we are gonna watch two thirty five. I was right. We are going to watch Dennis Villeneuve's Dune, starring now. If we Tim- want to make it Timothy Chalamet, if we want to make it five hours, we can watch the other versions of Dune. Uh no, I'm not now, doing that. Right, uh, I'm not opposed to watching uh, David Lynch's Dune because I'm, as far as I can remember, I'm one of the few that say it's not all that bad. But I also haven't watched it in. 30 years yeah so so who knows um but uh as of recording this though dunes and theaters um it's streaming on hbo max until at least the end of the month i think the 21st um so yeah uh watch dune I, I, and i'm definitely not the people say you got to see the theaters if you got a good sound system you got a nice tv you'll be fine watching dune you know what? Going to going to. I'm a healthcare worker. Going to theaters is a dicey situation. If you're comfortable with it, do it, but don't put yourself at risk. Uh, and you know what? There's not much to argue with sitting on your own couch with your own food. And yeah, it's, it's true. If you're if you're not going to one of those like movie houses that will serve you a drink, make a drink and watch a movie. I agree. Um... Yeah, so Dune's in two weeks. Um, Matthew, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me at infinite underscore rewind everywhere I'd like to be. Uh, That's Twitter, that's Instagram. I believe it is my letterboxed name, so come yell at me about come yell at me about my bad movie ratings. I've only written a couple reviews just because I don't have a I don't have a ton of time, but I will, I do try to put one out when I can. Um, I do I do co-host two other podcasts. Um, one with mutual friend Caroline, where yes. we make playlists to get us from a negative headspace to a positive one. Uh, playlists, uh, music playlists, I should be clear. Uh, that is called Trivial Merit. You can find that at Trivial Merit on Twitter, and it's available on all podcatchers you could want to listen to it on. And then I do ho- I do co-host a podcast about uh, video games I'm playing uh, with three friends, uh, my friend Michaela, my friend Jason, and my friend Moose. We just, we talk about games, so whether they're good, they're bad. And sometimes we talk about news, but mostly it's just centered around what we're playing. Um, I do think they sort of are more up to date and current than I am just because it be real out here. Jesse. You can find me on the internet at uh, Sleeper of the Bed. Uh, I have one podcast called Why Comics. That's you very good. At, I think you can find it at Why Comics Pod. Um, and you can find this show on Twitter at Free Reeling It. Or you can email us about anything you want to email us about at free or at freewheelingit at gmail.com. Let me say that again because I mumbled through it. Freewheelingit at gmail.com. Um, Got them both right. Yeah, thank you. I, I think I got it down now. Who does <laughs> our theme song? Uh, that's actually I have some news on that front too. Uh, as of a couple of days ago, Dead Eye, all capital letters, D E A D dash I, has finished his album. 
Um, it is on, a, it is currently in process to go up on Bandcamp. Uh, I am going to, I have to, I don't have the website in front of me. I'm just getting, getting to it right now. So please just bear with me. But uh, it is deadeyeproductions.com. All one word. The I is, is the letter, not the word. So deadeyeproductions.com. You can find the album there. I believe it is called Kingdom of Blood. Um, and just to plug what Jason had done prior, he was part of a duo called the Hope Street Steppers that released one of my favorite albums that, or my favorite reggae albums that I've ever heard. Probably one of my favorite albums I've ever heard because reggae is one of my favorite genres. Uh, it is called Black Lightning. It's very good. Both of these albums are predominantly instrumental and worth your time. They're good. They're good working music. Uh, or you could just, if you like, if you want to just vibe, you can vibe to it. So yeah, once for, I actually, once, yeah. once I actually know about like when they're up on Spotify, I'll, I'll definitely probably tweet from our account and my own and I'll sing it. I'll probably scream it from the rooftops just because I think Jason's very talented. I definitely think he's more talented than he'll tell you he is. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. Thank you guys for listening to this ramble for about an hour about movies that we enjoy. Uh, and uh, just uh, watch some good movies. It's a good time. Good time. Watch movies with friends. Great time. Zoom. Yes. Watch it on Zoom, Discord. Do that. It's a good time. Yeah. Stream it. Yeah. Exactly. Find a stream or watch something good. Mm-hmm.